0: You're listening to the New Song Students Podcast. I'm Jackson, and I'm the student pastor at New Song Church, located in Oklahoma City. We hope this message builds your faith and helps you to know God better in a greater way today. Enjoy the message. We are closing out a series that we've been in in the last five weeks called The Classics. Look to your neighbor and say, The Classics. If you've got your notes, get them out. Any real Bibles in the house tonight? Yeah. Don't judge me. But I just, watched, um, I just watched Jesus Revolution for the first time last week. Some of you guys are like, oh my gosh, my pastor just got saved. Um, it was amazing. But man, we should start doing that thing where we're like, this is the word of God. Let's open it together. Amen? We should do that. So, hey, I want to I see some more physical Bibles in the house, all right? Shout out to you guys with your real Bibles. So, I hope you guys have been enjoying this series on the classics. Has anybody been enjoying the last five weeks of this series? This series has been about theology. We've been talking about classic theology of our faith. And I hope that over the last five weeks um, that you've learned something, um, that you've gained some knowledge about God's Word, who He is, but I want to remind you that this series is not just about gaining more knowledge about who God is, um, but this series is meant to be lived out. Uh, this series is meant to enhance your faith, to make you want to worship God even more. And that's my that's my prayer, that this series has not just given you more knowledge about who God is, but it's deepened your hunger for Him. Amen? And um, If you're just now joining with us for the conversation, let me just bring you up to speed really quick. We've been in a series on theology. What is theology. Pop quiz. Anybody want to tell me what theology is? Let's go. The study of God. Let's go. Make some noise for Caleb. That's right. Somebody was paying attention. The theology is the study of God. And in this series, we've been talking about the fact that theology is not just something that pastors do. It's not even just something that Christians do, but everybody does theology because everybody has a viewpoint about who God is. Everybody has a belief or an unbelief about who God is. Everybody has a belief uh, about whether God is nice or angry, whether the one true living God is the God of the Bible, the God of the Quran, Buddha. Like we got a lot of people who have a lot of different viewpoints of who God is. And since everybody finds themselves in this situation, that means that We don't get to decide whether or not we will be theologians. We just get to decide if we're going to be good or bad theologians, right? And we talked about this in week one. Just because you are a Christian doesn't mean that you automatically have good understanding. It doesn't automatically mean that you have good theology. Um, In fact, many Christians don't have a very good understanding of God's word, um, who he is, his characteristics, their purpose as a believer. But not you New Song students, right? You guys have some good theology, right? That's right. And that's why we've been doing this series, because theology is foundational for not just um, our, our walk with God, but our practical life. We've talked about, for the last five weeks, the doctrine of the Word of God, the doctrine of who God is. We've talked about the doctrine of humanity and Jesus, salvation, sanctification. We've gone through the whole shebang. It's been amazing. And we've been talking about how theology is not meant to be lived up here but it's supposed to be lived out in our everyday life. So if if I know good theology, if I have good understanding of the Bible, that's good, but is that actually being played out in my everyday life? Does that make sense? I can have good theology and understand in my brain that I am the righteousness of Christ, but if I walk around in shame all day, every day, I don't have good theology because it's not translating to my practical life. Are you following me? So theology is meant to be lived out, not just learned. Theology is meant to be lived out, not just learned. And so tonight, we're going to be diving into um, a new doctrine to close out the series. It's not a new doctrine. It's actually an ancient doctrine. But it's going to be new for us in this series. And this one is central to our faith. They all are, but this one is central to our faith. It's central to your walk with God. But sometimes this doctrine is not viewed as essential. It's not viewed as Uh, Non negotiable. Sometimes people look at this doctrine and we try to diminish its power in our life. We try to pretend like we don't need it that much. And many times Christians want to believe this about this doctrine. But I want to show you tonight that this belief that we're going to talk about, with its flaws and all, yes, I said flaws and all, its imperfections and its trials, even with all of that summed up in this doctrine, it is worth it. It's worth it and it's non negotiable and it's necessary for you. And I don't just believe that for your walk with Jesus, but I think it actually can be the most rewarding part of your walk with Jesus. So if you're taking notes tonight, we're talking about the doctrine of the church. The doctrine of the church. So we're not going to uh, kick off this message, which is one scripture, but we're going to go to two scriptures, all right? So I need to hear some pages turning in just a second. But we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So you can start turning over there, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and then we're going to go... To Hebrews chapter 10. I can hear those pages turning. Let's go. So let's look at the context of this first one, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. What's taking place here? Well, this is a juicy couple verses that we're about to read. This is some like reality TV show drama taking place because we know by the context, just by the name of the book, we know that this is a letter from Paul writing to the church in Corinth. But this is a different letter than like other letters he's written. Because if you remember, we just came out of a series on the weekends in our church about the book of Philippians. Do you guys remember the series? It was so good. It was called the joy letter. And that's exactly what Philippians is. It is a pretty happy, a pretty stoked letter from Paul. Paul's writing to the church in Philippi. And the way he writes to the Philippian church is he is very excited about this church. He's like, you guys are killing it. Every single time I think about you guys in my prayer, it brings me so much joy. I love you guys. Paul talks about how the Philippian church was like giving him gifts while he was in prison and like funding him and like giving him financial, uh, giving him financial blessing to, to make it through his, his prison time. And the only cor- correction that he had for the Philippian church is interesting. The entire book of Philippians is all this good stuff. And then at the very end of the letter, Paul's like, oh, by the way, There's two ladies in your church, and they're kind of angry at each other, and I want to just encourage you to to figure your stuff out, to, like, reconcile. That's amazing. Like, think about that. If Paul, if the Paul wrote a letter to New Song students, and all he had to say was good stuff, and the only thing he said at the end was, oh, by the way, there's two students in your youth ministry, and they need to figure their stuff out and be friends again, that would be a pretty good letter, right? Yes, from Paul, that would be an amazing letter. I would be stoked about that as a pastor. This is not the kind of letter that Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church is going through a lot right now. It's kind of a dumpster fire taking place. It's a mess. But Paul, what I want you to see is Paul doesn't shame them. He doesn't look at them and he's like, oh, this is they're gone. I don't even know if they're a church anymore. No, he steps in and he addresses it. And this is where we're going to talk about this. Look at what it says. It says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. We'll get to that in just a second. (laughs) And you are arrogant. Look at this. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Okay, time out. What did Paul just say? Paul's correction... So this Corinthian church is not like the Philippian church. He's not like, hey, you guys have two people in your church that are upset with one another and they need to figure their stuff out. That would be great. No, Paul's correction is, what in the world is going on in your church? There's a guy in your church who is sleeping with his stepmother. Not even unbelievers brag about that. He's bragging about it. And the worst part is, nobody in your church is doing anything about it. Yikes. Somebody say awkward. Yeah, that's really bad. That's really bad. Now, that's kind of a random passage to kick off this series about the doctrine of the church. Why do I read that? Well, in this short little passage, we are, we are, it sheds some light into a reality about the church that has existed since the very beginning of the church's existence And that's the fact that the church is full of people. The the church is full of people. Imperfect people, sinful people, broken people, some a little more sinful than others like, like this dude, clearly. But what I want you to see is that people and sinful people and broken people and imperfect people, since the beginning of the church, have never been a valid excuse to not be in the church. And this is why I didn't want to just open up with this crazy passage, with this crazy dude who is doing crazy things with his stepmother, which is just crazy. Lots of crazy. I want to read you Hebrews 10, which is actually really encouraging. And I want to read this in light of what we just read, and then we're going to pray. Check this out. Hebrews chapter 10. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. If you have a Bible, underline this next sentence right here. Not giving up Meeting together, not giving up meeting together. No matter what, don't give up meeting together. Look at this, as some are in the habit of doing. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, Don't quit on the church as some people are. Some people are quitting on the church. You don't. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You already getting this doctrine tonight? Yes. Cool. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your church. God, your, your word says that your church is your bride. God, you care immensely for your church. You love your church because your church is made up of your kids And God, we are your kids. I thank you for every student, every leader, every person in this room who's here. And God, would you give us a fresh revelation of the importance of the family of God tonight? Because we are not wired to do this Christian walk alone. There's no such thing as a solo disciple. And so God, help us to to feel our need for community, our need for the church, our need for your body of Christ, and that we have a part to play in that. Holy Spirit, speak to every single person through this message. We pray all these things in your name. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen, amen, amen. amen. Okay, uh, there's something that I've always admired about our pastor, Pastor Josh. Uh, so, hey, Gus and Bo, I'm going to talk about your dad for a second. Is that okay? I don't know where you guys are, but I'm going I'm to brag on your dad for a second. Um, there's always a, a couple things that I've admired about him, and I'm not talking about his faith in Jesus. I'm not talking about his, um, his ability to communicate Scripture in, in a really practical way for our lives, even though I do love those things about him. And I'm not even talking about the, the fact that Pastor Josh is really good at doing the whole, like, full dad, full swag thing, okay? <laughs> full dad and full swag. And uh, that's, that's a hard balance, To find because you've got some dads who are full dad but no swag and uh, you got some some dads who are full swag but no dad and um and and then you've got some dads that are full dad but and they're they're trying to be full swag but it's kind of cringy you know what i'm talking about (laughs) and we're just like hey you should just stay full dad just stay full dad this is a balance that i'm trying to find as a dad as a father i don't know if I've, i've made it yet but i love these things about pastor josh that's great The one thing, though, that I'm talking about that I've always admired about Pastor Josh is his faithfulness to the Dallas Cowboys. (laughs) Any Dallas Cowboys fans? Nobody? Yeah, that's what I thought. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Um, I don't know if you knew this. I don't know if you knew this about Pastor Josh, but he is a diehard Dallas Cowboys fan, which is hard to do. Um, Like, there's people... There's people like me who grew up in Dallas. I grew up in Dallas, and I'm a, I'm a Cowboys fan when they're winning, uh, but not when they're losing. <laughs> and um, there are fans of the Cowboys like me who just like when they're winning, we're like, "Oh yeah, I'm from Dallas. Yeah, D-town. Let's go!" And like we'll, we'll bandwagon their wins. But then there's like real fans, like all caps fans. And this is Pastor Josh. Pastor Josh is an all caps Cowboys fan, win or lose. He's cheering for the Cowboys, and the reason why I admire this about our pastor is because that's probably a really hard thing to do, to be a Cowboys fan, because I don't know if you knew this, but they've kind of been in a dry season. Uh, Some of you, I've heard you guys say you're in a dry season. You have not been in a dry season like the Cowboys have. (laughs) Does anybody know the last time they won a Super Bowl? That's very true. It was four. Everybody in here was born, basically. 96. 96. I made the cut. I was born 95. So they haven't won a Super Bowl since 96. Um, and when I was living in Texas, I remember the Cowboys were always like the butt of a joke. So like the, the next day after a game, people would be like, hey, how about them Cowboys? <laughs> when it was like they lost terribly. They were like the butt of a joke, but not Pastor Josh. Like Pastor Josh is a diehard fan. Win or lose... He is rooting for the Cowboys. And that's something I've always admired about him uh, because he's faithful to his team imperfections and all. And that's a really rare quality to find in this world. Like, and I've asked him this before. There's been times where I've been like, hey, Pastor Josh, like, why the Cowboys? Like, they kind of (laughs) suck. Like, what if you just like picked a new team for a season and then when they start winning again, you could just always jump back on, like jump back on the wagon. Like, why are you such a diehard fan when they don't perform? And I've asked him this before, and if you ask him this, he'll tell you that he's not a Cowboys fan because of how they perform or because they win a lot or because they're the greatest team in the planet. He's not even a Cowboys fan because he's from Dallas, because he's not from Dallas. He's from Tulsa. So why in the world is Pastor Josh a Cowboys fan? Well, if you ask him, he'll, he'll tell you, I'm not a Cowboys fan because of the team. I'm a Cowboys fan because of my father. He'll say that. He'll say, I'm a Cowboys fan because my dad is a Cowboys fan. Pastor Josh is a diehard Cowboys fan because Pastor Ken is a diehard Cowboys fan. Are you following me tonight, New Song students? Which means that the thing keeping him tethered to the team is not their performance. The thing keeping him tied to the team is his father. It's not a win or lose thing. It's a family identity thing, all right? This quality about Pastor Josh that I admire is one that I wish more Christians shared about the church. For believers, the church is viewed in a lot of different ways. For some Christians, the church is viewed like a restaurant or like a movie theater. So like I go to this one down the street because it's closest to my house, it's clean, the staff is friendly, I always, it's, it's vibey, vibey church. Um, they always take good care of me and I leave really, really full, it's the best. That's how some of us view church. For others of us, church is like going to a football game and I'm going to this football game to watch them perform and I'm gonna cheer for them and I'm, I'm gonna watch this and I'm gonna be entertained by it when they're winning. When they're losing, though, when, when, when things start getting messy, I'm going to go find a new team to follow. For others, the church is viewed like a bunker. And so, like, there's a war going on out there, and the church is my bunker. It's like my safe place where I can go and be safe and, and be covered from the, the shrapnel of the world that's trying to get at me. And then for others of us, like, the church is viewed as, like, it's our therapy session it's our, it's our place where we have a coach, and he tells us how to have a good life. And this is, these are different ways that people, Christians, view the church. The problem with each one of these views that I just mentioned is that they all are tied to how well the church can perform for me. I love the church until they mess up my order, then I'm out. I love the church until they start losing, then I'm out. I love the church until I realize it's not as safe as I thought, then I'm out. The church becomes something that we can negotiate our need for. Are you following me, New Song students? There's a lot of reasons why people feel like they can negotiate their need for the church. And some of it is not their fault. Some of it's bad teaching. Like in the modern church world, we focus so heavily on just your personal walk with Jesus, your individual walk with Jesus. Most of us think that our Christian walk with Jesus is a me thing, not a we thing. But it's a we thing, not a me thing. And that may not be your fault if you have that view. That may be just bad teaching. Another reason why people feel the need to negotiate the importance of church is because sometimes, let's just be real, the church does perform not so good. Being a part of church is fun and it's really exciting when things are going well and it's successful. Being a part of church is difficult when there's some rub in the church, when the church isn't winning as much or making us feel as good. But no matter your reasoning for church and its importance, something we have to all understand tonight. If you're a Christian in the room, I'm talking to you tonight. Any Christians in the house? All right, cool. That's good. If you're a Christian. You got to realize this. Take, take this, if you're writing this, if you're taking notes, write this down. When you became a Christian, you signed up to be a diehard fan of the church. Yeah, that's good. And I'm going to say that again. When you became a Christian, you signed up to be a diehard fan of the local church. You see, most people, when they become a Christian, they want to be a diehard fan of Jesus, but not his church. They're like, yeah, I love Jesus, he's perfect. The church, eh full of hypocrites. Yeah. So I'm not about the church, but man, I love Jesus. I got a lengthy quote for us tonight, New Song Students. Can we do a little lengthy quote? Uh, it's, from, it's from one of my uh, favorite pastors to read. Um, he's not alive anymore, but his name's Eugene Peterson. Here's what he says about this. I think it just sums up perfectly. So lean in with me. I want, you, I want to see you lean in tonight. Follow along with the screen. He says this, whether we like it or not, the moment we confess Jesus as the Lord and Savior of our life, that is... From the time we become a Christian, we are, at the same time, a member of the Christian church. Even if we do not permit our name to be placed on a church roll, even if we refuse to identify ourselves with a particular congregation and share in the responsibilities with them, even if we absent ourselves from worship of a congregation, our membership in the church is connected to our faith in Christ. We can no more be a Christian and have nothing to do with the church than we can be a person and not be in a family. Membership in the church is a basic spiritual fact for those who confess Jesus Christ as their Lord. It is not an option for those Christians who happen to, by nature, be more gregarious, talking about people who are really into the church. It's not just their nature than others. It's a part of the fabric of redemption. Y'all still hanging in with me? Okay, there are Christians, of course, who never put their name down on a membership list. There are Christians who refuse to respond to the call to worship each Sunday. There are Christians who say, I love God, but I hate the church. But they are all members, the same, whether they like it or not, whether they acknowledge it or not. Okay, this last couple sentences, if you got a phone, take a picture of it in just a second, but I want these to really sink in with us tonight. For God never makes private, secret salvation deals with his people. His relationships with us are personal and true and intimate, yes. But private, no. We are a family in Christ. When we become Christians, we are among brothers and sisters in faith. No Christian is an only child. No Christian is an only child. So New Song students... Man, what's your perspective on the church tonight? Are you a die hard fan of the church, the local church? I'm not talking about the big C church. I'm talking about the church you choose to attend. Are you a die hard fan? Are you a fan based off of that church's performance and how they feed you and and how they make you feel? If so, that's okay, but I do want to correct that tonight. In the same way that Pastor Josh is tethered to the Cowboys because of his father, we as Christians are tethered to the church because of our father. It's not a performance thing. It's a family thing, New Song students. So tonight I want to answer a couple questions about the church. I'm going to spend a lot of time on the first one, and then we'll close with the last two. But I want to talk about what church is. What is church? I want to talk about um, what makes a good church. What, is it, what, is it, what does a good church need to have? And then I want to talk about what the church is about. So first one, what is the church? Well, for some of us, the church is a place. It's a place I go to worship. Some people view the church as, um, as an organization. It's like a company or like a brand that I follow. Some people view the church as a club where I go and there's a lot of people who share the same interests with me so I feel safe. Now, the church does include some of those things. Like, yes, the church is a place of worship. There are people who are going to have the same interests and beliefs as you there. But that's not what the church is. That may be what the church does, but that's not what the church is. So if you're taking notes, write this down. What is the church? The church is God's family. The church is God's family on the earth. The church is not a team because if it were then the thing binding us together would be like a brand that we like. Like, we're Team New song. But that's not, that's not how it goes. The church is not God's organization or company. If it was, then you would be getting a paycheck from us, and we can't pay all of you guys. That'd be crazy. Not enough people tithe. Hello. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> the church is not God's... Hey, hey, check it out. Sorry. The church is not God's army. Church is not God's army. Because if that were the case, then the thing binding us together would be a common enemy. Like, we're just against the world. It's us versus them. But that's, that's not the church. The church is not even God's house, technically. If it were, then the only thing binding us together would be a building. Now, the church does include being a team. There's, there's teamwork involved. It includes organization, praise God, we want organized church. It includes the fact that we're gonna fight some spiritual battles, so we kind of do act like an army at some times. And the church definitely is a place where we worship, but the church is primarily God's family. And in the natural, I think it helps to to view this when we think about our natural families. In a family, in the natural, the thing that binds you to your family is not similar interests, right? The thing that binds you to your family is not the house that you live in. What binds you to your family? Your blood. You have the same blood. Family lineage. And it's the same with us in the church. Look at this, Hebrews 10, 9. Therefore, brothers and sisters, look at that, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, how do we do that? By the blood of Jesus. Jesus. Acts 20, verse 28, it says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to take care for the what? To take care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own Blood. blood. Okay, this is so interesting when you think about the church family and relationship with our natural families. In the natural, I could spend tons of time at your house. Like, I could just spend the next year going to your house every single day. Your family could be like, hey, Pastor Jackson, mi casa es tu casa. And so, like, I come to your house, and I just go into your fridge, and I, like, eat all your food, and I just stay as late as I want. Does anybody have a friend like this? I had two friends, two best friends in high school like this. Their names were Andre and Isaiah. And for, like, four years, these dudes basically lived at my house. They never texted my family whenever they were coming over. We always had the door unlocked, which is kind of sketchy. I don't know why my parents did that. But they would just walk into our house all the time. They'd be eating my snacks in the fridge. Um, They'd be hanging out till like midnight every night on a school night. They'd be as loud as they wanted. Like like these, these buddies of mine basically lived in my house. And I could share all of those things with you. I could go to your house every day. I could eat all your food. I could be welcomed in your home. We could share all of the same interests as one another. But all of those things don't actually equal us being family in the natural, right? Even if we do all of those things together, I'm still not your family because I don't have the same blood running through my veins as you. And the truth is, if you think about this spiritually, there are plenty of people who find themselves inside of the church building, but they are not actually a part of the church family. Can we get real for a second, New Song students? Man, there's a lot of people who are, they share in the same space as we do. They may agree in their mind with the same beliefs as us. They may even have the same experience as us, like they go to camp and stuff. But you can do all of those things, but not have the same blood of Christ running through your veins. I've been there before. I say all of that from experience. Man, I spent so much of my uh, first half of my life in the building of the church, having memories with all of my friends, shared experiences, doing all this stuff in the church, but I was not a part of the church because I hadn't been born again yet. In in, uh, Matthew chapter seven, Jesus says something. It's one of the most just like real quotes from Jesus. I think from the entire Bible, it's very sobering. He says this: Not everyone who says to me, "Lord, Lord," will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does wi- the will of my Father, uh, but the one who does the will of my Father is in heaven. Verse twenty-two. On that day, many will say to me, "Lord, Lord," didn't we prophesy in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and do mighty works in your name? And Jesus, look at this. And then I will declare to them. I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Y'all, that's a heavy quote from Jesus. Jesus makes it pretty clear that the thing binding us to the family of God is not a building. It's not shared experiences with one another. It's not even good head knowledge. The thing that binds us to the family of God is the blood of Christ covering us. And I don't know about you, but that terrifies me that some people can live their whole life in the church, but not know that they're a part of the church. And then one day face Jesus and Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Yikes. So does anybody want to find themselves in that situation? Heck no. So how do we know we're a part of the family of God? How can we be a part of the family of God, if it doesn't mean having a good church attendance and doing all the spiritual disciplines outwardly, how do I become a part of the family of God? Well, it's the same way you become a part of your natural family. How are you a part of your natural family? You were born into it. So same with us. We have to be born into it. Jesus says this. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again or born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born is of the spirit is spirit. So when you listen to me. When you make that decision, when you recognize that you need Jesus to save you and you need him to live, when you recognize that and you make that decision to follow Jesus, to give your life and surrender it to him, you are born again into a new family. You instantly go from being a person who may have been inside of the church, and now you're actually a part of the church family. Think about how crazy this is, y'all. In an instant, you go from being a part of a nuclear family. So maybe you have like a mom and a dad and like a brother and a sister physically in the natural. In a moment, you go from that to having millions of spiritual fathers, mothers, brothers, and sisters. How cool is this? This is the blessing of being a child of God, that God doesn't just save you from your sins and and forgive you and then just send you on your merry way, like, by yourself. Like, all right, good luck. Try your best to follow me. Like, no, when you get saved, you get born into a new spiritual family. Amen, new song students. This is amazing. So, like, everybody in this room, if you've made that decision, like, this is why sometimes I say you guys are my brothers and my sisters, because I mean that. You guys are my brothers and my sisters in Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that our spiritual family replaces our actual family. <laughs> it's not like when you get saved, you have to like leave your mom and dad. <laughs> that would be pretty extreme. Some people might have to do that, but not you. Hopefully not in Edmund. Um, it doesn't replace our family in the natural, but I do want you to know this, that your spiritual family, the blood that's running through that vein, is a deeper family Than your natural family, it is actually a deeper family than your physical family. Jesus actually says this. There's a time where he was teaching, and the his disciples brought his family to him, and they're like, "Hey, Jesus, your family's here," and they're thinking that like Jesus is just gonna stop what he's doing because his family showed up because they have like benefits of being his family. Look what Jesus says. He says, "Who is my mother, and who are my brothers?" I bet they were like Jesus, (laughs) offended, (laughs) like what? I'm your mom. I bet that's what Mary was thinking. And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. So in the natural, just because we share the same space as one another, or set of beliefs as one another, or same experience as one another, doesn't mean that we have the same blood running through our veins. That's the same spiritually. Just because we're in the church together doesn't mean we're a part of the family of God. But that can all change in a single moment. If you've never done that before, that can all change in the decision that you make to fully surrender your life to Jesus. And we're going to give you that opportunity in just a little bit. But on the flip side, let's flip the coin for a second. You all still with me, New Song students? Let's flip the coin. We could share the same DNA as one another. We could share the same blood running through our veins on paper, but have different viewpoints different beliefs. We may even go through things with our actual family in the natural that separates us relationally, but do, those, do any of those things actually make you not a family? Like, do different beliefs make you not a brother and a sister anymore? Does relational separation make you not a family anymore? No, you're still a family on paper, right? I've got a younger brother who lives in Japan with his wife, he's a Marine. And I've got a younger sister, who lives in Austin, and um, I love my siblings, um, but we're different. We're really different. We have different beliefs. We live our lives differently, Um, and we we live in completely different parts of the world. My brother lives on the other side of the planet, but does that separation cause us to not be brothers anymore? No. No. In the same way, sometimes we in the church we see our brothers and our sisters in Christ who have different viewpoints as us. Maybe they've done something that's caused us to feel like we need to relationally separate from them. And if we're not careful at times, we can actually pretend like we're no longer a part of the same family anymore. We can start to pretend like our family isn't that good here because of what happened. And so I need to go out there and find a new family to be a part of that's better than the one I'm in currently. But understanding, this is, if you got notes, uh, write this down. Understanding that the church is the family of God who shares in the same blood as us should change the way we walk through imperfections in our family. Knowing that should change the way we do conflict with one another. I'll never forget uh, this one time. I I was growing up in North Texas. I went to a mega church called Gateway Church and um, loved it there. Um, But I'll never forget the time in my life when this shift took place in my mind, where the church went from being a big organization to a family. Um, It was when I was in college, and um, one day, I'm coming home. I don't even know what I was doing. I was hanging out with friends or something, and I'm coming home, and I walk into my parents' house, and in, in the living room, I see my parents, my mom and my dad, and I see our campus pastor at our church and his wife, and they're all sitting across the table, and they are weeping, You ever like walked in on a deep conversation and you're like, sorry. (laughs) That's what I did. I walked in on this and I was like, oh, this is heavy. So I just kind of walked to my room and I was like, I'm sure they'll tell me later. So the next day, my my mom tells me, I asked, I was like, hey, what was going on last night? And she starts crying and she says, well, our pastor, he, he, uh, I'm not gonna say his name. Our pastor told us that um, he had an affair. And um, and they're they're walking through that right now, um, and it's gonna or they're gonna announce it to the church this weekend, um, and we need to be praying for them. It's gonna be really really heavy. You ever gone through something just heavy before? Something that you're like, this could split our family apart. So this happened at at my campus, and Gateway Church is a mega church, and so it's really easy when you're going to a mega church for things to not feel like family. Sometimes it's easy for it to feel like an organization and not like a, a family of God. But man, this this changed it all for me. Because I'll never forget that weekend they said, hey, um, if it's your first time, um, this is for our church members, this announcement. But we're going to have a a family meeting this Sunday night. And we want to just invite all of the church members to be there. We've got to announce something to you. And so I knew what was taking place that night. And so we all show up that weekend. And the whole church, a lot of the people from the church were there. And what was crazy is Pastor Robert Morris, he's the head pastor of Gateway Church. He was there, which was rare. Like he never showed up to, to the little campuses, but he was there. And I was like, whoa, this is, this is serious. And so they announced what had happened to our church family. But the way they announced it was, hey, this pastor, he, he wants to, to make things right. He's been really repentive, and he's going to work on his marriage, and they're going to try and work through this. And so we as a family, we need you to be supporting them. Now, what was crazy is um, that family had two kids that went to our church. And can you imagine, can you imagine your dad is the, the campus pastor of your church, and now the entire church knows what your dad did? Can you imagine how that would make you feel? Can you imagine how much you would not want to go to your church? What I loved about this, though, is we, we surrounded them like the family of God, And those two kids never left the church. In fact, I saw them more after this. And then that was nine years ago. That couple is still married today, still doing ministry. Praise God. But not every church deals with stuff like that like a family should. You following with me, New Song Students? And this is why scripture encourages us that we should always try to reconcile no matter what. It's not always possible. But we should always try. Why? Because it breaks God's heart when He sees His children pretending like they're not a part of the same family as one another. Second Corinthians thirteen eleven says this. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the love of God and the peace of God will be with you. The church is the family of God. New Song students. And in the family of God, you have to understand, there are no perfect churches. If there were, you would never be able to join it because you are not perfect and you would ruin that perfect church, right? Some Christians live their life with Jesus so afraid to plant themselves in a church because of what could happen. Some Christians live their, their entire walk with Jesus so transient, that means that they're constantly hopping From church to church, because they're looking for the best church that ticks all of their boxes. But John Mark Comer, I love what he says here. He says, ideals are often so unrealistic and unattainable that if you demand them, you'll bounce from one group to the next to the next. One church to the next to the next. One relationship to the next to the next. New Song students, some of us have a checklist for the body of Christ. And it's so unattainable that no church is actually gonna be able to tick all your boxes. And lists make it impossible for you to be planted in the house of the Lord like God wants to do. And this leads to a trend that I see all of the time with Christians, and it's this thing called church hopping. And I I get it. We wanna have the best of what's offered to us, but sometimes we have this this heart towards the church, and we're like, I go to this church sometimes because I I like my friends there. I go to this church sometimes because of the worship. I go to this church sometimes because the message is really good. And I go to this church sometimes because they put on really good events. New Song students, I just want you to know that's not how family works. In a family, you don't just get to be a part of your family when you like them and then you don't when you don't like them. Let me say it again. You can do that, but it's only going to lead to dysfunction. If you only want to be a part of your family when you like them, and you avoid the parts of them that you don't, that leads to just more dysfunction in your family because family grows and thrives when we're planted. Psalm 92, we've heard this before. Our church says it a lot. They, those who are planted in the house of the Lord, will flourish in the courts of our God. Now there's a, there's a famous um, Catholic monk named Thomas Merton. I don't, like, I don't agree with everything he said, but I do agree with what he believed about stability. So this guy, Thomas Merton, he took a vow of stability as a monk. And he did it because in the early 1900s, he noticed a trend. He saw all of these Catholic monks going from monastery to monastery, because they were like, I like this one, but I heard that that monastery down the street does some cool stuff over there. So they would go to the monastery over there, and they would just bounce from like church parish to church parish. But Merton, He took a vow of stability, which which was where he said, I am planting myself in this monastery, and I will never leave unless God tells me. I will never leave this, this monastery until God tells me. Look what he says. I love this quote. By making a vow of stability, the monk renounces the vain hope of wandering off to find a perfect monastery or a perfect church. It implies an act of deep faith. The recognition that it does not much matter uh, where we are or whom we live with. Look at this. All, I, I, I changed the monastery to churches. All churches are more or less ordinary. Its ordinariness is one of the greatest blessings. See, this is something I would love to see more with us, New Song students. And this is something I actually really want to urge you with, New Song students, is you need to have a church home. You need to have a student ministry that is your home. And it doesn't have to be at New Song Students, but I wanna urge you, you have to. You have to plant yourself in a church body because you popping from youth group to youth group, from church to church, I'm telling you, it's not a sin. I'm not gonna say that, but it's hindering your spiritual growth. It's hindering your spiritual growth. I need you to plant yourself in a church family. Now, am I saying that you need to plant yourself in a church family, and if they start doing sinful, hurtful things, you're like, I made a vow of stability, so I guess I'm stuck. No. If a church is hurting you or other people, and they are not repentant, they're not changing their ways, man, leave that church. If a church is not teaching you about God's word, man, you don't gotta stay there. You don't have to stay there. But you do need to find a church family, and you need to plant yourself in that. Amen, New Song students? So, okay, we know what the church is. It's the family of God. We're in the same family because of the blood of Christ in us. Now, what makes a good church? What makes a good church? What, what, what does a church need for it to be, quote-unquote, a church? Well, some people think, man, they got to have a cool building. They got to have the vibes. Got to have good coffee on Sunday, which we're still working on that. <laughs> um, we're working on it. Um, they got to have good community. they got to have good word, good worship. Those are, all, those are all important things, but that's not what makes a church good. i got four things, all right? Four things that make a church a good church, and you need all four things. Number one is this, coming in the name of Jesus. Now, if you just heard Pastor Sarah's message a couple weeks ago, she talked about this. You need a church coming in the name of Jesus. Number two, you need a church that's teaching God's word. Sounds kind of obvious, but it's true. Number three, you need a church that's administering sacraments. Whoa, big word. What does that mean? Well, the sacraments, that's just another fancy way of talking about communion, which is something Jesus told his disciples to do, and water baptism. So, I mean, it sounds kind of silly, but if your church isn't doing those things, it's not actually a church biblically. And then number four is this, making disciples. Um, One of my favorite pastors, John Tyson, he talks about how you shouldn't define a church's success on how many people you fit in the room, but on the quality of its disciples. So you can have big churches, but like no spiritual maturity. And that's not what makes a church successful is how many people are in the room. It's, It's are they making disciples? So a good church needs these four things, coming in the name of Jesus, we're coming here, and it's not for you, it's not for me, we're coming in Jesus' name, we need teaching of God's word. We need to be baptizing and taking communion together. And we need to be making disciples. John Calvin says this, wherever you see the word of God purely preached and heard and the sacraments administered according to Christ's institution, there it is not to be doubted a church of God exists. One more quote I got for you. You hanging with me, New Song students? Is this helping anybody tonight? Wayne Grudem says this, churches can be more pure In some areas and less pure in others. A church may have excellent doctrine and sound preaching, for example, yet be a dismal failure in witnessing to others or in meaningful worship. But the New Testament encourages us to work for the purity of the church in all of these areas. So if a church is not doing these four things, then we can definitely say they call themselves a church, (laughs) but they're probably not a church. We can decide that. But hear me. Some of us are looking for a church who's doing all four of these things 110% perfect all the time. And I just need you to know, not every church is doing this 100% perfectly. And so the point is not to find a church that's doing all four of these things perfectly up to your standard. The, The point is just you finding a church that God's called you to that's doing these four things. Are you following me, New Song students? And so what I want us to be asking is, God, where are you planting me? What church are you planting me in? And then when he shows you that church, man, plant yourself in that church. The last thing is this, what is church about? If you're taking notes, I got three things for us. We're gonna get ready to close. What is church about? Well, church is about ministering to God. Number two, ministering to believers. And number three, ministering to the world. Ministering to God ministering to believers and then ministering to the world. What does that word minister mean? Does it doesn't mean we preach messages to Jesus. <laughs> Not necessarily. To, to minister means to serve. And the American understanding of how we view church, I'm just telling you, New Song students, we gotta flip it upside down. We gotta turn it on its head because we, view, we tend to view church as this. How is this church family going to serve me? How is this church family gonna serve my walk with Jesus? And this very lens in which we view God's church is gonna make it's gonna, it's gonna make a hard it's gonna make it hard for us to grow spiritually. Because the this is the opposite truth biblically. Biblically, the role of church is not to serve me, but it's for me to come and to serve God. And it's for me to come and to serve you and you and my brothers and sisters in Christ, and it's for us to serve God. The world, And it makes sense because the more we do this, the more we actually start to look like Jesus as the church. What's, the, what's another way that the church is described? The church is described as the body of who? The body of Christ. And I'm just going to tell you, we don't look like Christ when we come to the church and we're like, church, hey, you serve me. Because Jesus didn't go to anybody and say, hey, you serve me. No, 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 Jesus laid his life down. And so the more the church starts to say, hey, I'm here to serve God, I'm here to serve my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and I'm here to serve the world, the more we actually look like the body of Christ. Look at this, I wanna close with this scripture, Matthew 20. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. Look at this. It shall not be among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. New Song students, if you are born again believer, if you're Christian, everybody in this room is your family. Everybody in this room is your brother, your sister, you got some spiritual fathers in this room, some spiritual mothers in this room that you need to tap into their wisdom. You are not doing life alone, New Song students. If you're here tonight and you've been inside of the church building for a long time, but you're like, man, I don't know. I don't know if I saw Jesus and he, I don't know if he would say, well done, good and faithful servant, or if he would say, depart from me, I never knew you. Man, if that's you, you can be a part of the family of God. Tonight, we can make that decision tonight. No more more second guessing. Maybe you're here tonight and you've been like bouncing from youth group to youth group, from church to church. I'm not here to shame you at all tonight. I'm telling you from personal experience that you will flourish. God will bless your life. You will grow spiritually if you choose in faith. See, this is what it takes. It takes a lot of faith. Because if you church hop, you kinda have control, right? It takes faith to say, I'm gonna stay here and trust God's gonna grow me. And I just think there's some people in this room tonight and you need to make that decision. Like, God, where, where are you calling me to plant my life? But we're gonna respond to this message, New Song students. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes tonight?